And for the rest of you, let's open up our Bibles together. Uh, We are in Matthew chapter 8 today. Matthew chapter 8, verse uh, 23, we're picking up uh, where Pastor Andy left off last week. So we're at Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over on the resource table so you can follow along with us. All right, we are at Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. This is God's holy word. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? Let's pray. God, as we uh, consider uh, yet another event in the life of our Savior, uh, God, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see his glory, to see his power, that you would increase our faith and trust in him, that when the storms in life uh, come before us, that, God, we would have an unwavering confidence that you are in control. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what scares you? What scares you, and why does it make you so afraid? Came across a study, Chapman University, not sure where Chapman University is, but they did a survey of American fears uh, it was pulled this past in 2023, and the top 10 fears of 2023 fell under basically five categories, and maybe some of these relate to you. Number one, uh, one of the, the categories was corruption with our government, corruption with our government. Number two, uh, economic concerns, economic collapse. Three, war and uh, terror. Four, the harming or death of a loved one. And five, pollution from drinking water. That was the one that kind of caught me off guard of all of it. Uh, you could probably just add death in general as a, as a, a constant fear. And, and they all make sense. I mean, if the, if the government goes awry and continues to go bad, we as citizens will suffer. If the economy collapses, what happens to our finances? They go If you lose a loved one or something bad happens to a loved one, I mean, that changes everything in your life and and, and in your uh, dynamics. I think what we see as we consider these fears and the fact that there's even a list of fears in America is we're afraid because we don't want our lives to be more difficult, to end early. I think we fear uh, that life will get harder And that's not what we want. We want ease, we want comfort, we want longevity, and we certainly don't want adversity, trials, and tribulations. But we might not want it. God knows we need it. God knows what is best. So what we're going to see is that ultimately God wants us to trust him. He desires us to not fear, but rest in his goodness, his sovereign power. Whatever the storm is, he's got this. Just believe, don't worry. We've, we've sang it many a Sunday mornings, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say what? It is well, it is well with my soul. So we're going to see the reasons for faith in Jesus in our passage today. 
To give you a glimpse of where we're going, we're going to begin by looking at the circumstances for faith. The circumstances for faith. Jesus, we need to understand, he handcrafts this teaching moment. None of this is chance. None of this is random. None of this is wrong place at the wrong time. This is Jesus putting them where they need to be. Because ultimately, the second thing we're going to see is the crisis of faith. These disciples have had, quote-unquote, faith. Jesus says, prove it. I want to put you in a moment. I want to put you in a situation that if you have faith, it's going to be demonstrated. And if you lack faith, that's going to be demonstrated as well. And then lastly, we'll consider the cause of faith. We're going to see that Jesus gives us all the reason to believe and to trust in him, all right? So let's begin. Let's pick up at verse 23 and see the circumstances for faith. Now, last week, Pastor Andy preached on the authority, power, and glory of Jesus over everything. With that same idea, we're going even further into that. Jesus is going to display his power in real life situations, he's going to use nature to show his majesty all over the place, all right? So as we see the circumstances for faith, first aspect I want us to do is I want us to take note, listen to this, of the sovereign details. Take note of the sovereign details. It says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So you read that initially, it's like, okay, did he just happen to take a boat ride with them? Whose idea was it to get on the boat? Why didn't they walk? All of those things. It was Jesus's idea to get on that boat. Luke 8.22 directly says that. Matthew 8.18, look just up a little bit. Matthew 8.18, he says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And then in Mark, because this is in Luke, Matthew, and Mark, this whole passage. Mark 4.35, it says, Let us go across to the other side. So Jesus' idea is, I want you to get on the boat, and we're going to go to the other side. Now, this past week, I don't know about you all, but if you have kids, and kids go to school, like, I've checked the forecast a whole lot with the weather. 13 ABC, uh, I was checking all the time. Chris Vickers actually works out here, so I see him periodically, and I almost bugged him. I'm like, hey, what do you think about school tomorrow? Is it happening? Is it not happening? Because my kids had school one day this week, Thursday. They had snow on Friday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was temperature. So, like, the forecast was important. I remember Thursday night when we went to bed, I had an argument with my oldest uh, son and my daughter. They're like, we're not going. I guess there's an online predictor of school days, whether you're having it, it's like, it's a 99% probability we're not having school. I was like, well, in the world of Joe, is 100%. There is no snow. It's not happening. I looked on the forecast. It's not going to be that bad. Going to school, get your schoolwork done, be done. We woke up. Sure enough, school was canceled. So is this one of those ones where, man, it would have benefited Jesus if he would have checked the forecast? Jesus, check the forecast, look at the weather, it's going to be a bad weather on the lake, probably should refrain from going on the lake. Maybe we walk, it'll take a little longer, we'll get our steps in, and we won't be at harm's way on the water. That is not what's going on, understand that. Jesus knows exactly what they're getting into. John 18, 4 
This kind of gives us a glimpse of who Jesus is. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And that's speaking of the night he was going to be crucified and everything that happened. And that is a constant refrain. Jesus knows. Jesus isn't ignorant of what's going to happen. He knows This is not the wrong place at the wrong time. This is not the disciples being unlucky. This is not the disciples not checking a weather forecast. No, this is God sovereignly and providentially putting them in harm's way on that water. So it's Jesus' idea to go there. Second thing, it's Jesus' idea to fall asleep. Now, there's a, a disorder, a sleep disorder that you probably have heard of before. It's called narcolepsy. And like with the way narcolepsy works is people can fall asleep really easily, even in a crowded room. It doesn't take much for that person to, to just kind of conk out. Jesus did not have narcolepsy, okay? He had, now there is a sense where Jesus in his humanity, he needed sleep. And we need to understand that he worked hard and his body would get tired. He had to eat and things like that. So he he needed sleep. But there's also a trust element in in Jesus. Psalm 127, verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eat the bread of anxiety toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And his father gave Jesus sleep. He was able to perfectly trust in the father, so he was able to fall asleep. But what I want to understand is sleep in this situation provides the least visible presence of Jesus in the midst of the storm. Do you understand? Jesus is at the stern of the ship, or the boat. He's asleep. He's out of way. Everything breaks loose. Water, waves, everything. And it's just, there's a difference between Jesus there and Jesus standing beside them when all of this is happening. And this is an intentionality on his part. He's orchestrating these events to put their faith to test. So I want to ask us, what are the current details of your life? What are you currently going through? Where are you going through it? What could God possibly be doing in your current circumstances? Because that's how we need to look at life. That's how you and I need to look at providence. That God doesn't act on a whim. Things aren't random. Whether it's a time of victory and success or it's a time of defeat and failure and everything in between, God is doing something, whether you want to acknowledge it or know it, that we need to believe that we are where God needs us to be. So we take note of the sovereign details. Secondly, I want us to take note of the storm development. So it says, and behold... There arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. First of all, I want us to see that this is a severe storm we're speaking of. Uh, Mark 4.37 says there was a great windstorm. Waves were breaking into the boat. Luke 8.23 says there was a windstorm. The boat was filling with water. And then in 8.23, it actually says they are in danger. So they're in danger. Uh, it's, it's important, I think, geographically to understand a little bit. First of all, Sea of Galilee is a big lake, but not that big. Who here knows Lake St. Clair in Michigan? Way bigger than Sea of Galilee. Kind of give you a, a comparison. Not that big. Uh, sea of Galilee was 13 miles long. 
is 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. It sits 680 feet below sea level. Why is that significant? Because there are hills near uh, the Sea of Galilee that are 1,500 feet above sea level. So in the world of meteorology and weather, what happens is hot air and cold air end up combining. The, the cold air up high drops down, displaces the warm air, and storms notoriously on Sea of Galilee come quick, out of nowhere. Just boom, it, it'll just happen all the time. Uh, there's video, you can look online, 1992 recorded video of some of the worst storms the Sea of Galilee has seen. Uh, they had waves that surged over 10 feet. So that's a big wave in the context of how big that lake is. But I don't want us to just emphasize the meteorology element of it because the reality is Sea of Galilee could have never had a single storm in its whole existence. And if God wanted it to have a storm that was massive and, and epic, he could do it in that moment. It was God's power. Isaiah 51, 15 says, I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. So we need to understand that God is, is the orchestrator of this storm. But we also, I think it's important to understand that storms, specifically in the Bible, are often not just real, but they're often symbolic of greater things than its trials and tribulations and adversity and, and persecution. John 16, it says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we need to understand this is God's development, the storm that we're seeing here. Well, are you going through a storm right now? Has God bringing you through some, some choppy waters? Because not only is it a severe storm, there are scared disciples. Do you, do you get the, the, the overall attitude? I mean, they are, they are freaking out. They are, are, are scared. I've always, I've always thought it was kind of funny when you see like a big, like muscular man's man, and then they scream when they see a spider. Have you ever seen that? Brooke, I said big muscular, like Dallas. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like you got, you, you have a, this person that you would not anticipate would be afraid of a mouse. Like in the cartoons where the elephant is scared of the little mouse. These are, of the disciples, probably, it's debatable, up to seven of the disciples are fishermen. So these are seasoned fishermen. I think it's safe to assume they've been on a storm, in a boat in a storm. And yet in this moment, they are afraid to death. And then also, what have we seen already what did Jesus do to the leper? Healed him. What did Jesus do with other people? Cast out demons. Healed a whole wide range of sicknesses. So you would think at this point, they've developed some degree of faith, some sense of confidence, some sense of trust of what Jesus is capable of, and yet they're afraid. And I don't know about you, in some sense, maybe it's misery likes comf company. 
it's encouraging to know that God's people sometimes get afraid. And it's not just me. I think one of the great examples is in uh, 1 Kings 19.3. This is Elijah, the same person that called fire down from heaven. And in 1 Kings 19.3, it says, He was afraid, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So think about that. Elijah was scared. The disciples are scared. Don't be surprised when you and I, we get scared at times. Now, I'm not saying live in this fear, as we're going to look at it in a little bit, but be aware that you're human, that life can be scary. And if you don't have your focus right, if, you, if your eyes are not on Jesus, don't be surprised when fear sets in. Or are you afraid today? Are you anxious with what you are currently going through? So we see these circumstances of faith. Sovereign details, storm development. Let's now look at the crisis of faith. God is molding and he's breaking them for this moment. He wants to reveal his son. He wants to increase their faith in Jesus. So he asks them very, uh, two very pertinent questions. Question number one, why are you afraid? So they went, they woke him saying, save us, Lord. We're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Notice, first of all, the pause. A message before the miraculous. He doesn't immediately calm the storm. Isn't that ironic? I mean, imagine you're somewhere, the place is burning down, you call 911, the firefighters come, they come, and as they come, prior to putting the fire out, they stop and lecture you on what causes fires and not in the house. You shouldn't keep things plugged in. You shouldn't run these appliances during. You're like, that's great. Can you please put out the fire? And yet Jesus is there. He doesn't immediately stop the storm. No, he looks at them and says, why are you afraid? I think we learn a valuable lesson about Jesus is Jesus is about teaching us. Jesus is about allowing us to experience discomfort, difficulty, hard times, because at the end of the day, he is more concerned about conforming you and I to the image of his son than us immediately getting out of difficulty. Paul could testify to this. 2 Corinthians 12.8. Remember the thorn in the flesh? This messenger of Satan to torment Paul. And, and Paul did what? He said, God, please remove this thorn. And he asked him how many times? One time? Nope. Two? Nope. Three times. And listen to what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God is in the habit sometimes of pausing, of not giving us that answer right away, not delivering us right away, not fixing whatever the issue is because he wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature in our faith. Well, are you currently in a season of pausing? What is he trying to teach you right now? Is he exposing your impatience with him? Because not only do we see the pausing, we see the problem Listen to what the problem is. 
Why are you afraid? And you know what you could translate that into? Why don't you trust me? That's really what he's asking. He's not asking a question like, can you give me a list of all the reasons why you're afraid? He's asking like, why are you afraid? You shouldn't be afraid. He's implying there's no reason to be afraid. He's going to the heart. I mean, I've seen how fear can paralyze people from acting. I remember this summer we were up at the UP and this was the first year we ever went up on Lake Superior, way over to the west, and they have, like, they're cliffs, but it's not like I'm jumping off a 150-foot cliff in Mexico, but they're cliffs nonetheless. And it was funny to see the number of people that showed up there intending to jump off the cliff, and when they got up to the cliff, did not. And there was a lot of counseling going on and therapy amongst parents and, and, and spouses and boyfriend, girlfriends. Like, I'm not doing it. You should do it. We're here. Can't stay forever. And just this constant tug of war. And there's a lot of people that came. I watched them. Came in swimsuits. And those swimsuits never got wet. Because at the end of the day, when they looked down at how far the drop was, they, they passed. There's that fear element. And what Jesus is saying here is that they don't, they don't trust him. Not even that. Mark, Mark takes it a whole new level, the Mark passage of this. Mark 4.38, listen to what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Can you, did you just hear what they said to the Son of God? You don't care. You just don't care about us. What a smack in the face of Christ that they looked at him and said, you don't care. Has there, anybody, has there ever been anybody who has cared more for them, ever, for any of us, than Jesus Christ? And yet they could willfully look at him and say, you don't care. They had forgot his goodness. And Jesus is implying in this moment, there is zero reason for you to be afraid. We shouldn't fear death, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Death, where is your victory? Death is where your, where's your sting? So you and I as followers of Jesus, should we fear death? Everybody nod your head no. How about people? How about the world? Jesus says what? Don't fear the world who can take your body, kill you. Fear the one who can cast your body and soul into hell. That's the one. So really the only fear that you and I should, should really fear, and we're going to look at it a little bit later, is God. And yet in this moment, these disciples are afraid. They don't trust Jesus. They are not Psalm 23, David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. What about when I'm on the boat that's going to sink? Do I fear? And they feared. Well, are you truly trusting Jesus today? Are you, are you ca categorized by unbelief? So question number one, why are you afraid? Second question, where is your faith? Listen to what he says. He says, you of little faith. Notice this rebuke on their faith. You see, it's more than them just trusting Jesus. That, okay, Jesus, you know what you're doing. 
The bigger issue here is they have no faith, no belief that God can do something about their situation. Mark 4.40, he says, have you still no faith? Luke 8.25, where is your faith? It's like you and I, we go over to the ATM, we put in our card, we enter in our, our pin, and when you go to withdraw money, the numbers don't match up. Oh my, I have, I have insufficient funds. Or you're driving today, and you check your engine, and you look up, and you're like, oh, I forgot to get gas. We're on fumes. We're almost out of gas. When Jesus looks at his disciples, and this is heartbreaking, he looks at the disciples and he sees low funds. He sees an empty tank. Where is your faith? These are disciples. Think about it. Because I think sometimes we're like, man, if I was around Jesus, I would have greater faith. We say that all the time. Well, if I got to see everything they said, and of course I would have faith. No, case study, look at this. They're there. They've heard it. They've seen it. I mean, very close proximity. They just watched a leper get healed in the moment, and yet they're on this boat, and they are beyond afraid. I think it's, it's what the one father says in Mark 9, 24, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Well, does their faith resemble yours? Would yours be little? No. Where's your faith meter at? today because ultimately he doesn't want their faith he wants them to have trusting faith he wants them to not panic when life goes awry a couple weeks back there was a flight I think it was uh, either to or from Alaska and a wall panel blew out during the flight kind of scary and there's video of it, but like the one thing that, that makes me a little bit laugh, there is a dude sitting in the seat by the wall panel, gone. Hair's blowing, wind, and he looks relatively chill. Is he medicated? I don't know. Because I know if I'm in that seat, I am going to be bringing a lot of entertainment to the person because I'm freaking out. There's literally a hole. They're, they're in the plane. I mean, it's, I'm here in my seat. There is a hole the size of a refrigerator right beside me. And he's just chill. He's just like, oh. hey, things happen. That is the kind of faith. That's the kind of expectation that God expects us to have with him when the wall panels of our life come tearing out thousands and thousands of feet above ground. He wants his disciples to believe that. I mean, they've seen the leper. They've seen the centurion. They've seen others. There should have been no blinking when this storm happened. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. They had that scripture to cling to. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its dwelling. And we've already seen in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus looked to them and said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And yet in the midst of all of this, they don't trust him. They don't believe Well, do you have faith in what God is capable of? Do you trust him when he says no? Do you trust him when circumstances aren't ideal? Are you at peace right now? Because that's what he desires for us. So we see the circumstances of faith, sovereign details, the storm develops. We see the crisis of faith. He asks those two questions. Why are you afraid? Where's the faith? Well, now he gives us a reason to put our faith To put our trust, we see the cause of faith, and it's Jesus. First of all, we should have faith in the one who rebukes the winds. Faith in the one who rebukes the wind. He says, then he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I think as we see this, first first thing we need to take note of, great grace. Jesus is just so patient with the disciples. I don't know about you, when adversity hits, I can tie the trend and I'm hopefully growing in grace in this area. I, I like to start over. Things are going right, let's, let's start it again. I, I'm a person who uh, used to do writing journaling. And if I missed a couple days of journaling, I would go get a new journal. Like this one's tainted. Just clean slate it. Uh, we, had, we were fixing a toilet didn't like it. I think I returned it three different times, different toilets. I'm like, one of these toilets is going to work. I just, I just, I get impatient. I'm like going to move on. And I'm imagining myself, if I'm Jesus, and these disciples are so annoying. Like, it's time to be done. I'm like, I'll go walk on water and go get some new disciples and leave these ones to drown because they are just awful. And that's not what Jesus does. And I mean, that's really the heart of Jesus in the Bible as a whole. You could argue worse than the disciples, the Israelites in the wilderness. I mean, they got the, the compliment of compliments, you stiff-necked people. And yet he is patient. Nehemiah 9, 17 says, You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them, even when they made for themselves a golden calf. In your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. I think the encouragement in all that is that God believes that more can happen in our lives. He gives us more time to repent. He gives us more opportunity to grow, uh, to mature. He speaks truth. How patient is God with you today? How patient is he with your unbelief? But not only do you see great grace, we see great power. I mean, these, these words are ridiculous. This boat is on the brink of sinking. They're on the cusp of drowning. Jesus says a word, and it is calm. Calm. Think of that. Think about how many times have you tried to get people to be quiet and you couldn't do it. Amen? Amen. I'm coaching the fifth grade basketball. I was telling you, and this last week we were doing a a drill, 
And every kid, I've got 14 kids, every kid had a basketball. And to get them to stop dribbling so I could talk, it was a mini miracle. I was losing it because I kept, and then I started blowing a whistle. And then finally, for a brief moment, they all stopped dribbling. I started talking, and then guess what happened? One of the kids started dribbling. I lost it. <laughs> they ran after that. Think of that, though. I mean, it, this is, it, it, did you notice, too, it says there's a complete calm. So what would normally happen, let's say the waves, the wind stops. So Jesus stops the winds. What would still be moving? Think about it. The waves. The waves would still be billowing. It's going to take a little time for the waves to finally calm down. Not with my Jesus. When he says calm, it is calm. Waves stopped. Wind stopped. Could you imagine how frightening that would have been in the moment? And that's what Jesus can and does. It's this creation language. He speaks. It happened. Let there be light. There's light. Let there be calm. There's calm. That is our Jesus. Psalm 93, 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. How big is your Jesus? Because I think you and I, for whatever reason, we have such a domesticated view of Jesus that when life gets dicey, when the storm waves come, we are fearful and, and we have this like little Jesus that like, can you kind of help me? My Jesus can say calm and there's calm. I even think in a spiritual realm with regards to anxiety and fear and worry. Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition. Present your request to God and guess what it says? In the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And it surpasses all understanding. Because Jesus says peace, and we have peace. He can silence the trials in our lives. He leads us beside calm waters. Well, do you believe that? That he has power to calm your circumstances, to calm your heart. But we see not only the faith in the one who rebukes the winds, I think we have faith in the one who receives worship. Go on to verse 27. It says, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? First of all, they respond with all. And it's important to understand. You and I, we wouldn't have been any better than the disciples in this moment. We would have been as afraid, if not worse, than them. Also, we need to understand that there is a progression of growth in who they know Jesus to be. And this was one of those next steps in growth. It reminded me of in growing up as a child, uh, I think it might even have been the first Superman movie. But when they had baby Clark Kent, they had a flat tire. And all of a sudden, dad's out there fixing the flat tire and the jack moves. And you know, instantly, like he could have got crushed by the, the car. All of a sudden, the car doesn't move. And dad and mom look up. And there's baby Clark Kent holding up. Pretty cool. And, they, and at that point, there was like, okay, this kid is not normal. He is very strong. We're going to get him into powerlifting. He's got to have a future in the strongman competitions. No, it was an eye-opener, like, wow. And, and I think what we see with Jesus in this is one of those aha moments. 
that this is the God-man, that this is the Son of God. Paul speaks of this Jesus right here, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is a before all things, and in him all things hold together. In the Gospel of Matthew, this further revealed to them that he is awe-inspiring, that he is the one that deserves our worship. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things, and by your will they exist and they were created. So are you in awe of Jesus? Do you marvel at his work? Do you look at what he's done in your life? Do you look at what he's done in other people's life? Does it inspire you? I mean, we, we are in awe of so many trivial matters. We get in awe in sports. We get awe in beauty. We get all of this and that. Friends, what should, should leave our jaw dropped is when we consider Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So they respond not only with this awe, they respond with fear. Luke 8, 25, it says they were afraid. Mark 4, 41, they were filled with great fear. Now, when we hear that, I, I want us to understand it's not the fear that you and I would maybe think. If you're going out to your car at a parking lot at night and it's dark and some scary big guy that looks like he might have a gun starts walking your way and your car is the only way. That is a different fear, right? We're afraid of what he's going to do to us. And they're not looking at Jesus afraid of what he's going to do to them. What they're having is, I think this, it's a biblical idea. They are being awakened to the need to revere, to have a, a, a godly fear of God. Romans says part of the problem of humanity is there is no fear of God before their eyes. You and I live in a world, live in a culture where there is no fear of God. People live however they want in the words of judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. People live just lives of, of debauchery and sin. There's no worry of hell, no worry of judgment. And what they're doing in this moment, and I think it's a good thing, They've come to the realization that this is the one who we're going to have to answer to. This is the one who deserves our, our, our reverence, our, our awe, our worship. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. They were afraid of a storm, but more importantly, there was a righteous fear of, of who Jesus was. And that we can trust him. Well, do you have a proper fear of the Lord? And like I said, it's a, it's a tension. I mean, Paul says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a tension between our fear of God, but also a confidence and assurance because I'm loved, I'm cared for, I'm his child, and he is mine. There was a TV show back in the day. Uh, a lot of you probably have heard of it. It was a reality show. It came uh, shortly after, I think, Survivor kind of was like playing off of of Survivor, it was called Fear Factor. Fear Factor. I remember the narrator, I even found, it's an imagine a world where your greatest fears become reality. Welcome to Fear Factor. Each show, six contestants from around the world battle each other in three extreme stunts. These stunts are designed to challenge the contestants both physically 
and mentally. If the contestant is too afraid to complete a stunt, they're eliminated. If they fail a stunt, they're eliminated. But if they succeed, they will be one step closer to the grand prize of $50,000. Six contestants, three stunts, one winner. Fear factor. And what it would do, the big idea was overcoming fear was one part experience, other part battle of the mind. So if you can, like, so they would have a heights, and it would be ridiculous, like double the gym uh, ceiling, and, and they would have to walk. Now, they were always harnessed and protected, so people weren't dying every episode, but people were afraid, and, like, they were afraid of heights or uh, afraid of close uh, quarters, and they'd be buried alive. They'd have oxygen, but, like, covered in stuff, or they were afraid of snakes, and they would be with snakes. All of these different things, and it was goal to win money, but also to help these individuals overcome fear. And I think sometimes we have a misguided understanding of fear like that. That's really what fear is. If you and I, we do something enough, we won't be afraid. Or if we can just get a hold of our mind, if we just think right, we'll never be afraid. Friends, that's not going to fix your fears. It's just not. Not the deepest, darkest, most frightening fears. Not the fear of death, not the fear of the world, not the fear of the worst, what ifs in life. The ultimate victory over fear is what? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus, our faith and trust in Jesus, our confidence in Jesus. There is a meme that I think a lot of you probably have seen online. It's a young boy, I think he's like nine years old. He's in Russia. He is on a swing set. He is swinging away. Behind him is a giant building area on fire, burning to the ground. So people are in line, like, watching it. It's like a big disaster kind of deal. And this nine-year-old, he's smiling and swinging. That's supposed to be you and I in this world. Smiling and swinging because we have Jesus with us. We rest in his goodness, his sovereign power, no matter how frightening life gets. We believe in him. He's got this. We don't know always how Jesus has got this, but we know that Jesus has this, and that's what matters. So we can have hope, and we can trust him. May our faith continually grow in Christ. Let's pray. God, we just come before you right now and we acknowledge that we struggle with fear. We struggle with worry, anxiety. Our circumstances can overwhelm us and we fixate so much on the situations rather than our Savior. So we pray, God, that you would produce gospel growth, that your spirit would mold us more and more into the image of your Son. I pray specifically for anybody here today who's going through a major storm in life and they are frightened they're worried about their health. They're worried about their finances. They're worried about relationships. God, we just plead with you that you would speak into them and that you would tell them to be calm and to be still and that, Lord, they would truly experience your peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.